some of them are funny and some of them are wow. All right, if you would, uh, turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Right before Revelation, so easy to find. The book of Jude. Now, what drew me to preaching through this book is as I was reading it in my studies, it was so much, I felt so much like First and Second Peter, particularly Second Peter, that talks about apostasy. Just, just it, is, it sounds so familiar, I felt like this is where this needs to be squeezed in, right after we've been in First and Second Peter, so you can kind of feel this. My feeling is, is these two had to be walking in line with each other, knowing each other, that just the terms and so forth that are used here. Now, the book of Jude talks about the apostasy, and it talks very, uh, very much about, it's very focused in on that. Um, now, who wrote the book? Well, Jude 1.1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James. And so it is thought of um, that Jude, well, Jude is the English form of the same word of Judas. So if we look at Matthew 13, 55, it says, is, this, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. So this Judas would seem to be the half-brother of Jesus and is believed to be the writer of Jude. For the other two Judas names are that of Judas Iscariot, which would not be a likely uh, connection, and the other disciple Judas. There was a disciple there, but he's very little talked about and, and is referred to as not that Judas, not Judas Iscariot, and just very little talked about. So it's believed that the writer of Jude was Jesus' half-brother named Judas. Now, we in like fashion, as we did through the epistles of Peter, of Peter we're going to expound on Jude's epistle verse by verse as we, we go through. But besides a few drop-off points, uh, or stop-off points, maybe should I say, the initial purpose of this verse-by-verse -verse approach will be to show the likeness, to see the familiarity of the message and style to that of Peter. I want you to see that and feel that. It's something uh, very interesting. I just, it just really grabbed me here recently. Now we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to circle back and conclude with verse 1. Okay? So we're going to go through, looking at the likeness of, to the epistles of Peter. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to go through, and then we're going to end in verse 1 as a conclusion. So let's pray. Father, I come before you wanting to just love the people of this church. Lord God, there's who knows what's behind each person and what they've been through today. Lord, already maybe where their minds are, their thoughts are. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take them away this morning, that they'd see you for who you are. 
that they would be encouraged in their heart, that they would have courage to, to live in this very evil day that we live in. And so, Father, as we go through here, I'm not sure what you have for each of us, but I know you have something for us. May we open our hearts to it and obey it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Jude 1, 1. Jude 1, 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Uh, for one, uh, just like Peter's writing, it's a general epistle. It's not addressed to a local church, but rather to the church in general. The books that are considered uh, Catholic, um, and, and I say that in the word, of course we think of a religion, but the, the word means universal or general, are the books of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude, okay? They're not, they're, they're just, they're general epistles. That makes them a little different. Um, now, there's a lot more to look at in this verse, and as I stated, I'm going to return back to this verse, and we're going to conclude our message, which what I feel like the Lord has really impressed on my heart. Verse 2, it says, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Got a little technical difficulty. That doesn't happen with paper. <laughs> uh, all right. First Peter one two. Okay, going back to some comparison. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 2 Peter 1, 2. We had 1 Peter 1, 2, 2 Peter 1, 2. <laughs> Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The only place multiplied is used in this way in all the epistles is between these two books, between Peter and Jude. It's sort of a catchphrase, and it's kind of easy grace be multiplied you, you, we have those kind of things you're going to see some of these things in here um, that we may say similarly the um by the way if you multiply thinking of multiplying this is just some little bit of extra some math stuff for you john pay attention here so, all right. <laughs> if you multiply anything by zero the product is zero he does not say add so the word multiply does a couple of things it assumes there's already is some mercy, some peace, and love in our lives. And it also says that it can grow quickly, that it has the potential to grow greatly in our lives. I like that thought. That's just some extra there. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude, like Peter, emphasizes effort in our faith. He first states that he gave 
he gave all diligence to. Then he says that we should earnestly contend for our faith. Jude also makes a statement at the end of this verse that punctuates Peter's writings concerning the origination of unchanging truth. It is the faith once, once delivered unto the saints. That's a very important word. Peter said it this way, 2 Peter 3.2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, once delivered to the prophets of old and to the apostles. There's no new doctrine. I read this last week, Hebrews 13.7, remember them which have the rule over you and who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. That's one thing preachers can do is just preach that, that out. You know, that's what Brother Mike is doing this morning. It sounds very deep and wordy, but the, the deity of Christ and how important that is. We're going to find this out here in, in the writings of Jude because it, it leads us into something we need to be aware of. Verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Judas here warns of apostasy. How do ungodly men sneak into the church? It is through hypocrisy. If you look up what hypocrisy is, they are actors. They act the part, and many of them are very, very good at it. They play the part that is not really them. Jesus said that there will be tares and wheat. And that they, you can't separate them. There's always going to be this infiltration. Let me give you a common example. The insurance business, in particular, trains their salespeople to first sell to their family, who they have relationships with, and go to organizations to build bonding relationships with. Churches, in particular, being prime places. Insurance salespeople, those who are good at what they do, know how to dress and act and play the part. I'm not saying that all of them are like this, but I will tell you that the world and the insurance companies who's after money is definitely teaching them that. They also know how to leverage their pitch to people that they have relationships with. Because it's hard for you to say no when you're in a relationship with somebody. How do you tell no? It's so much harder. They know it. This is how to make sales. Now, not everyone's like that. And there's some good ones with good products that are very helpful to our lives. And sometimes good people in the church are being pressured by their ungodly insurance company to press on their relationships. They've got to struggling with we try to get into that and they feel that pressure I'll tell you out in the world there's a lot of pressure to produce numbers 
The method of numbering in God's work has always been a snare to God's people. God can save with few. God can save with many. That's it's not the point. It's God is the point. The motive for false professors are to get gain. There's a lot of money in churches, especially these days, the big churches. I tell you, it just, it really just knocks the wind out of me when I hear and I know of some of these things. There are fiduciaries, those who will invest your money, that'll come into, especially, they're going to come into big churches. who for the wrong reason, they creep into churches. There are financial people who contract their services to get older people to sign over their inheritance to churches. Did you know that? These make a business of it. They come into the pastors, into the group, and they teach them because you have this older group of people who have some money, and there's tax-deferred ways, and they teach them all these ways that they can get this signed over, avoid taxes and so forth, and get it signed over to the church. It makes me sick. I won't tell you the churches I know that get into that stuff. There are companies who have fundraising services for churches to raise money for projects. It's a business. And sometimes hypocrite preachers perhaps even deceiving themselves, find their way into leaderships in the church. This is what's called turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. It's when the work of God becomes like a business focused on numbers, using every tactic of the world to grow a God-man mixed religion. This is what the Jewish religion was at the time of Christ. And we have it going on today. Judah's warning us of these. Some of these churches deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They attack his, or even if they don't deny it, they attack his deity. Jude uses a statement in this verse also that deals with God's wisdom that is humanly ununderstandable. But he seems to be fine, just like Peter making this statement. And we should be fine with this statement. He talks about who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. God knew it. God's okay with it. It was preordained. It was all part of God's plan. To me, that's like, wow. You're going to read some things, what, what God made and, and what God's responsible for, and they sound bad, but he's God. He knows what he's doing, his foreknowledge, his omniscience, and to his acceptance under his control to the working of all good, to the final judgment of all bad. God knows what he's doing. It's hard. It's going to be hard for us to, to really fathom, except that he's God. Verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them, that believe not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Put you in remembrance. We just got through talking about Peter. Jude uses a phrase right out of the pages of Peter's epistles. Putting you in remembrance. Putting you in remembrance. Like Peter, he gives the examples of judgments against the ungodly. The judgment upon the Hebrew unbelievers in the wilderness. I'll call that spiritual filth. The judgment of the rebellious angels in chains waiting for judgment of hellfire. That's heavenly filth. Sodom and Gomorrah burned up in fire and brimstone, which Jude adds, eternal fire. Fleshly filth. Peter started with the flood, and Jude cited first the exodus, but in whole it is almost the exact same use of the self-same remembrance of the example of God's faithfulness to judge the ungodly. It's almost, I just feel like these two must have been pretty close together. Verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. I would say that Jude, though using similar words and message of Peter, enhances the subject and intensity of the apostasy. You really want to understand, you, you can see it in Peter, but you go to Jude, and Jude really brings it out. Here he uses very vivid descriptions. He uses filthy dreamers as a description of these people. Dreamers. These people are in la-la land. You look at the... This world is in la-la land. I don't know how else to describe it. Like Peter, he uses the words despised dominions and speaks evil of dignities. I mean, you just don't see those words... Uh, commonly used. Despised dominions. Nobody, no government, no preacher, no church, no God is going to tell me what to do or how to think. What are dignitaries? Those are the ones who represent good, the holy, the faithful, governments, the police. But they deride God's people. They deride dignitaries. Who are these people? I'm going to start a list and you can finish it. The abolitionists, the abortionists, the gay rights movement, woke, defund the police, and on and on and on and on. They're here. Verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Is this not just like what Peter warned of the same thing? To be careful not to be found fighting with the devil, but rather to give these things over to God. We don't need to, don't go out and try to battle these things. Give these things over to God. You know, we just need to be more in prayer than anything. It says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. 
and those things they corrupt themselves. Brute beast, a term only repeated one other time by Peter. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Again, this is strikingly similar examples as given by Peter. The way of Cain. We know about Cain. Cain brought his offering. God wouldn't accept it. God told him that he could if he would just bring the little lamb. But he wouldn't. The way of Cain, refusing God's way of salvation, choosing man's way, not God's way. Then he, the error of Balaam. Not only did Balaam have the wrong motive for his gift, he did not understand the gift that God had given. Then the gainsaying of Kor. Kor led a rebellion against Moses. The rejection of God-given authority. These three could be represented as the unsaved, spiritually blind, and the rebel church rousers. There they are right there. He says, verse 12 and 13, these are spots. These people are spots in your feast. When they're inside your church. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. (laughs) Clouds are they without water, carried about with carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Man, now that is some poetry there, isn't it? That is exquisite, Jude here. It's in form like Peter, but well exceeding in imagery than that of Peter. Verse 14, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh when ten thousand of his saints. Now this is a very interesting verse here. You can find Enoch in the Old Testament, and you can find the phrase, the Lord coming with ten thousand of his saints in Psalms. (laughs) But you won't find the connection of Enoch prophesying this in the Old Testament. The early church you will find a couple of gifts that were used to complete the Word of God, knowledge and prophecy. There was knowledge given, supernaturally given. Yeah, and if you start to read and you start to think that way, where in the world could that have come from in the New Testament? God had to supernaturally give it to him. There was the gift, a supernatural gift of just knowledge. And there were prophecies spewed out of the mouth of the disciples, just like the, the prophets of old. That, like the prophets of old, they were seen as darkly shaped figures, yet today have become as crystal clear. You know, if you look at the prophecies, there's enough there where God was speaking and it came to pass. But there was not extreme preciseness that could have been. These were coming through men. It was spewing out of their mouth. God was, and they wrote it down. And they didn't understand these things, that they just, this is what God told them, and this was what was written, and it was used for a purpose uh, later on. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, But charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, 
they shall fail. There's, there's no new prophecies. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away once it's written. We don't need, we don't have the need for those things. For we know in part, and they say, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. I don't think anyone even understood what was being coming out of the prophecy, coming out of their mouth of what this was going to be. They kind of seen it in a dark shape, what we see very clearly today, the written final word of God. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And there's things with us today even that we don't know, but we kind of see darkly, but one day we'll see face to face. Verse 15 through 19, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude gives a final description of the character of the apostates and their impending judgment. Ungodly deeds, committing in an ungodly way, hard speeches against God, murmurers, complainers, live after the fleshly lust. They are sensual and have great swelling speeches, use the reputation of others to their advantage. They are mockers and they make a separation unto themselves. They are selfish people. And overall, they're recognized by, by spiritual believers because they don't have the witness of the Spirit of God. Jude concluded, they have not the Spirit. And I'll tell you what that means. If you have the Spirit, when you talk with somebody, you will know if you have that, that Spirit. Now, if you don't, aren't diligent in your faith, you may not even recognize it. The Word of God's telling us to, to build ourselves up here, okay? Verse 20 through 23, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Jude ends with the solution to be spirit-filled. you got to get the spirit first, folks. If you're not saved, you don't have the spirit of God. You're to be spirit-directed, love-filled Christians, being able to clearly separate yourself from the world and to clearly love the world by compassion, by giving them the gospel to the glory of God. 
what Peter said and what Jude said are the same. Strikingly the same as those who knew each other maybe very, very well, maybe very close friends. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Remember Peter's words to make your calling and election sure. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, Judas saying the same exact thing here with Peter, but with a little less imagery. Uh, Peter has a little better imagery there in, in his statement. But he says, Jude says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen, or so be it. There is, this is the end of all Christianity. The same thing Peter's saying. It's for God to get the glory. That's it. For him to get glory. That's what we're here for, to give God the glory in all things. Now, turn back up. You should be there. Um, Jude 1.1, 1, 1. I want to conclude with this verse. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are, and I'm going to emphasize three words here, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. These are some ex exciting, exciting, humbling words. Sanctified, preserved, and called. Chosen. You were chosen. Saved. You were saved and you are kept by Him. We use the term signed, sealed, and delivered. I want to give you three small points and I'm going to go over here. The eternality of the relationship as a born-again believer. The example of the relationship. And then the equality in the relationship. The eternality of the relationship. I asked Andy Utsi one time, we were talking about eternal security. That's what we're talking about, eternally secured. And the, the Mennonite and the Amish struggle in that area. And so I said, so what would your dad say, you know, about the, what, what, you know, when he's addressed about, you know, that area of what salvation is? So what would he say? He said, well, he'd probably say that that's prideful. To think that you 
can claim salvation eternally and you're secure. That's provided for. Let me tell you something. I would say they're one of the most proud religions there is. They're up there. Because I, there is nothing, 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 nothing in me that deserves. That is all of God. That's the most humble statement you can make. Folks, I can't work, can't do anything. All my works, there's filthy rags to them, and yet he saved me. So we talk about the eternality, but I want to give you an example. I was watching one of those movies with Mom, a Hallmark movie, and a familiar scene of Chapman's. What is that scene? That is the man proposing to the woman. You often think about this. The man has already been proved by the father because he should, or should be, you know, that he's able to take care of his daughter. So he comes with all the ability. He's choosing her. He's bringing a, an expensive gift. And you look at the weddings. Is the weddings about the groom? Not at all. Man, I'll just be honest with you. I wished I wasn't even in that whole mess. Man, I was glad to get out of there. It's all about the, it's all about the lady, isn't it? All about her. But let me give you the picture. Jesus Christ bowed his knee, gave his life, and offered a salvation. It should be the other way around. He had no reason to love us. And I'll tell you what, man, you better get that picture. You better start thinking of these pictures in your life or you're going to struggle in your marriage. Because you're to give your life like Christ gave his life. Don't struggle with that. That's part of it. Now, the women, you have responsibilities, too. Look at yourself as the bride. What's it say? That they're to obey. Well, it used to be you hear that a lot in the, in the bowels, but there's a real rebellion against that. But before you go and think of, wow, this is man over woman kind of thoughts, let me tell you the other thing that Jesus did. We had, first of all, the eternality of it, the example of it, and the proposal, and the equality of it. We became sons of God. I, I can't explain it. He's made us equal. There is no other religion other than Christianity that even dares. All other religions have God so up, up so high and you are so subservient to him that you can't even reach it. And there's things you shouldn't do or shouldn't say because, because you're subservient to a master where God says, 
he makes us sons and daughters of the king. There's an equality there. Roles, positions are different. Remember what you've been being taught. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all God. Yet they have different roles. There's an equality, but different roles. We need to get that straight in our minds. You're going to struggle in your marriage until you figure that picture out. Let me give you something that John said to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, he says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Everything you see, everything that is designed, if you will focus in on it, God's teaching you something through it. That's a really weird thing in marriage that God has established, okay? It's still like that. The world's trying to tear it down. But it's all pictured in God. And if you focus and you study and you listen to these things, God will teach you the spiritual things. And you'll find your place where you should be in your marriages, in your life, your relationships with others. So let's pray. Father, with heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists come into play. I don't feel like I, it's so hard to just really magnify you for who you are. pray your Holy Spirit spoke to the people today that they would have got a glimpse of your glory of who you are and may it burden us because Jesus is reaching out to many with bended knee to get salvation and people are refusing saying no Help us to get it in our lives, Lord. And to give it to others. What a wonderful Savior. One day we'll see Him face to face. We see through a glass darkly in many ways. But may we just continue to rest upon Your Word and trust it, and live with the end in mind. Amen. You know, as uh, we were working on Tim's house, and uh, I was talking with Andy, and we were talking about things in the building. Sometimes you look, when you start to build, if I'm a kind of guy who just like looks at a lot of different things. I'm always like thinking of stuff. Sometimes I look and I think, man, it looks like that, that old thing's tilted this way. You may walk over the other side and say, it looks like that don't look level. That's, you know, the only way, you know, is through the instruments. <laughs> That's what tells you. You can't trust your, yourself, your eyes. I mean, sometimes things look certain ways. You've got to get to the Word of God. And let that be your bearings.
those instruments, the instrument of the word of God will straighten things out. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Again, I just pray your Holy Spirit spoke to our lives today that we may have fallen in love with you more today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.